This episode of Commentary, Trek Stars, is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hi, this is Robert Duncan McNeil, also known as Tom Paris from Star Trek Voyager. You're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 20 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm Max. And today is Part 3 in our series on Cliff Bowl and his work on the X-Files, where we are going to be looking at his second X-File, Bad Blood. Uh, Now this episode aired... In season five, it was the twelfth episode of season five. It aired on February twenty second, nineteen ninety eight, mm-hmm. and it is considered by many to be one of, if not the best episode of the entire show. It's certainly a great episode, and uh, in fact, if you look at the Geos ratings, it is number one. So you could say it's the best of both worlds. You of could the X Files. You could do that. Yeah. So, would you like to give a synopsis of this episode? Sure. Um, Bad Blood's kind of a a weird X-Files episode in that it sort of departs from the format. But the way in which it departs from the format is by showcasing the format in a really strange way. Essentially, there's a a small town where there there have been some deaths. And Mulder believes that it's the work of vampires. And Scully obviously doesn't agree with that. And the story is told from the perspective of both of them recounting the experiences because of how bizarre the case was and how how unconvincing the, the, the conclusion is and that they really don't exactly know what happened. So there's this weird sort of like Rashomon type thing where, they, where we get to see the story from two different points of view, Mulder making it really funny and Scully making it equally funny in a different way and the reality that we see sort of through the both of them is that it's a little bit it's a little bit of both and it is incredibly entertaining yes it It is is one of the one of the most fun episodes and if you're an x-files fan it's one of those episodes that you kind of it doesn't come up very often in like conversations about the best episodes of the show until you really get down into it and talk about the details and what makes it good. And I'm impressed at how high it is on the Geo's rating because I would have imagined that, no, of course not. They would I mean, like other episodes would be way higher, but it's actually, it actually shows a great amount of thought went into their rating system. Well, I mean, when you talk about uh, the X-Files, you know, we, we talked about this last week too and how, um, Generally speaking, the comedy episodes were always uh, good, you know, and, and, and they were always fun. And, and it was nice to have a departure from, you know, what could sometimes be a very, very dark and serious show, you know. And, and lots of times there was a, a lot of, you know, sort of like uh, it, it was the show was essentially, you know, film noir. And there 
one one of the, the the elements of noir is having this sort of very um, fatalistic uh, outlook of the world, and and lots of times this show sort of had that outlook like we're all screwed, you know. It's just that's the way it is, and you know, the government and aliens have conspired to keep us down and have covered it up so that we don't even know about it, and there's really nothing that we can do. We are just little people in a very, very, very big uh, machine, and it's basically impossible for us to fight back, no matter how hard we try. And even our biggest fights are going to amount to a very, very, very small step forward which is still rather insignificant in the grand scheme of things. And virtually every plot line does involve uh, like one or two steps forward. Right. And but one and between one and one and like 17 steps backward. Yeah, well what what it is is you you take one or two steps forward and then um someone dies and then you realize <laughs> you re, just when you think you're reaching the finish line you realize that um, the finish line is actually another 26 miles ahead. You know? Or it's just like a fake line painted on a wall. Yeah. And then you're like, what? I thought, oh, no, did I make it wrong? Oh, man. Yeah, and that's a very noirish thing to do. And, you know, you need to break that up. I mean, there there are some shows which don't break it up. There are some shows which, you know, are, you know, you know day in and day out, literally, that, you know, 24 is that and there's really sort of no um no release valve in that type of thing and the x-files definitely had that and these comedy episodes were that you know it, it is sort of a light-hearted look at the same types of stories but um but with with the stakes no pun intended not being nearly as high as uh, as they usually are yeah they also they also usually focused primarily on Mulder and Scully and their relationship, mm-hmm. which really helped the show a lot, not just in those episodes, but in like every episode. Bad Blood is a great Mulder and Scully's relationship episode. Yeah. And those kinds of things strengthen the show on the whole. And when that happens, I mean, like you can say that Bad Blood's a great episode, but more importantly than that, it made the other episodes better. Yeah, and what's interesting about this episode is that it um, does expand on the characters and their relationship with each other by basically showing what they think of each other, what their their take is on the other person, you know? Yes, and, and at this, but there is sort of a sense that they are kind of screwing with each other. Yeah, I guess. That they that they don't exactly see it that way, but they're trying to stick it to each other. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, they can't stick it to each other. Yeah. So they've got to use some <laughs> proxy for it. Yeah. So so this episode, you know, once again, just like with Small Potatoes, it was written by Vince Gilligan, who we talked about last week, went on to create Breaking Bad and, and wrote a number of, you know, really, really good episodes of The X-Files as well. Um, and, you know, Cliff Bowl. Uh, obviously, the the teaming worked on Small Potatoes, and so they, I'm guessing, hired him for this episode to try to recapture that magic, which makes sense. Um, and it totally worked. But here they pushed it even further. 
it's it's much crazy much yeah. crazier than small potatoes and uh in terms of both uh, style and uh tone it's pushing the envelope basically as far as you possibly can in this series it is, yes it also is an, an incredibly strange thing to do because they do kind of it is an episode in which they take the the format and the structure of an X-Files episode and do it correctly mm-hmm. but in a weird slightly different askew way and it actually shows a great depth of understanding of the show in order to be able to do that effectively because if he wasn't good at this we wouldn't it wouldn't be Mulder and Scully recount the story it would be the crazy departure because Mulder and Scully don't know how to talk about things. Right. It works on multiple levels. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's shockingly good. It's done as a slapstick comedy, but it's it's framed in such a way that, that it, it makes sense on, on the overall in the overall show. I mean, the very first scene in the episode is, is really interesting because it's a very X-Files scene. It, it opens like a lot of X-Files episodes do with, you know, a victim – being chased by an unknown um, uh, assailant, and through the, through the woods. I mean, the photography and everything—it's like straight up, you know, regular X Files. You know, the middle of the night, this guy is being chased, and you know, as yeah. soon as he's he's tracked down, you know, there's a, a stake to the heart, and you know, killing him. And then it's revealed that the person who killed him was Mulder. Which then, right there, okay, I mean, that's that's an interesting little twist, but they still don't really tip their hand yet as to what direction they're going in until Mulder pulls, or, or Scully, I think it is, pulls out uh, the victim's false fangs. Mm-hmm. And then we're, we're given one of the, the best uh, outros to a teaser in X-Files history, I think, where Mulder is cut off from saying, oh, shit by the opening theme music. Mm-hmm. It's a great, great moment. It, it really is hilarious because there is a definite sense that Mulder just killed the dude uh-huh. because that dude, he thought that dude was a vampire. Right. And you think, wow, that's the kind of thing Mulder would do. And that's the kind of thing that would ruin his life. And really, like, until he says, oh, sh-, you could easily spin that in a different way so that it would become like a, a a serious, you know, like almost, you know, courtroom drama type of episode. This could have yeah. easily been the court martial episode of the X-Files. The 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 cut tells you that it's this not it's not that. Different. It's not the it's not yeah. the like like Mulder goes in front of like the disciplinary board and gets right. fired episode. Right. It's it's the episode where Mulder might get fired episode <laughs> because but you That's also kind of know weird. but you also know at that point that this is going to be a weird episode and this is going to be one of the uh the comedy episodes of the show. Yeah. That that's not to say but cuz there are there's comedy in basically all of the episodes. Yeah, all the episodes have funny moments, but there's somewhere like the tone is definitely like yeah. we're we're doing a comedy this week, you know. Yeah, and there's the the peculiar thing is that usually those episodes are very very dramatically sound they're actually so their their structure is so good as a thriller mm-hmm. that 
it's odd they didn't just make it as tense and exciting a thriller as they could. They went a different way. Yeah. Which I guess it's just another example of the maturity of the series. They they knew when they were doing something good, so they went and did more. Well, but they also know, know and I mean, this is something that, you know, we've discussed elsewhere, I think, a lot, you know, and the idea that, uh, you know, you can use comedy to get your, your point across sometimes more effectively than drama. And uh, lots of times, if you play something straight, it may not uh, it may not work as well as if you play something comedically. The points that you're trying to make, I, maybe it's just a, a formal thing. Maybe it's that it, it would be boring as a drama. I, I don't know, but you know, you can certainly use comedy as a way of, you know, making your point more effectively than drama. Uh, in certain instances sure but there would be there's always the temptation to go to play it straight yeah to to make it the obvious thing and the show very rarely did the obvious yeah. thing which was very smart and and kind of like what you're saying you know the the other thing about i think most of the comedy episodes including this one is if you did take out all the comedy it would still be sound as a straight episode of the x-files the that's that's what i'm saying like some of some of the like the really dark most the most tense like serious straight drama thriller episodes have a less perfectly structured story Mm -hmm. than the comedy episodes yeah which is it kind of makes sense but that's not usually the way tv works yeah Okay, so we, we, we've established that this is one of the best episodes and one of the best comedies in the show, but would you say that it is, like, the most over-the-top episode of the show? I can't really Over think... Over-the-top? Well, I mean, you know, like... Absolutely not. What do you, what do you think is, is... Hollywood AD. Really? Hollywood AD is the most over-the-top. Hmm. But, okay, so perhaps it's not. But certainly at the time it was. You know, there was probably the the only one which would come close to it up to this point would have been like Jose Chung's from Outer Space, or maybe which also is is kind of like a freaky episode mm-hmm. where there are things that are funny, but also really just bizarre scenario. Yeah. Bad Bloods actually got kind of a, an oddly straightforward narrative, mm-hmm. which which helps it be kind of silly, but it's not it's not a radical departure from the format of the show. Yeah, the narrative itself is straightforward. It's the way that it's told, which is um, Mm -hmm. unconventional. And it it does have, you know, like you were saying, the sort of Rashomon thing going on where uh, there's the two different perspectives from the story. And um, that's interesting. And and the fact that that it it doesn't have a a thing which you, you often find in those types of stories where they say like, well, that's how it could have happened, and this is how it could have happened, but this is what really happened. We never see what really happened. We still have to piece it together, just like they do. You know, there isn't that third perspective which plays it straight. You know, right? The there are clues, though. There are there are commonalities between sure. the narratives. Yeah, I mean, like you can if, you can piece it together. It's but. actually kind of odd because the audience can piece together the narrative flow better than you know their boss. Mm-hmm. But that's just how it goes. That's because their boss didn't have the uh, 
the brilliant direction of Cliff Bull to uh, observe. Or, you know, any footage of the events at all. But speaking of which, the direction in this episode, I thought, was extremely well done. Um, and again, it's another case of uh, Bull getting to do something more than he would have had the opportunity to do working on a show like Star Trek. Mm-hmm. More so even than Small Potatoes. There's a lot of uh, cool stuff that you can do when, first off, you're given the opportunity to show something in a uh, fantasy setting. And by that I mean, you know, uh, a story which is being told and not necessarily events which are supposed to be portrayed in an accurate light. You know what I mean? Not really. That sentence kind of got away from you. Okay. What I mean is, uh, if you look at the first scene, it's a very straightforward X-Files type of scene, and the information which is presented uh, should be taken at face value. Whereas, you know, when you get into the rest of the episode and the story is being told from either Mulder or Scully's perspective, you can take a lot more creative liberties because not every... Uh, element has to hit as being true. You can you can do things yeah. um, which are uh, fictional, which are you know sort of fantasy based. At the same time, the words being spoken are probably fairly accurate. Maybe the like the actual sequence of events is probably pretty close to the actual sequence of events that you would mm-hmm. get if you transcribed the events. It's just there are little. Little like like uh, differences of tone that that make it unique. Yeah, that's something that I was thinking about while watching the episode, and you know, th- thinking about like how this episode would look on paper, and how, uh, like you're saying, that the dialogue, for example, probably didn't change much from one perspective to the other. Yeah. Even though they play very very differently. And there's another example where, you know, aside from kind of the visual side of it, which is what I was sort of talking about, it's also very sort of reliant on the uh, direction of the actors to get across the point that the writer is trying to make. Yeah, the the there's there's a part of me that, like, I'm talking about Cliff Ball's role in this episode is, is like, I, I... like I know that he was he was a great director, but I I honestly have no idea how they knew that he could do this. Maybe it was uh, small potatoes. Uh, yeah, but I mean, like I, even that, I I, I don't I, I don't know. Like, there's just so much weird in this episode, <clears throat> and it's weird in such an indefinable way that I don't know how any of the producers of the X Files knew that Cliff Paul would know how to do this because mm-hmm. it's super weirdly oddly different than other things obviously you can do stuff funny but it's particular sort of like logical structure to funny in this episode that you don't see very often well i imagine that there's a number of things at play there first and foremost i think you know looking at his work on small t- small potatoes and and who knows uh potatoes yes who, who knows exactly what was in the script based on what ended up on screen but I could totally see, especially since it's the same writer, I could see Vince Gilligan watching the finished product and being like, 
man, that guy totally got what I was going for, or maybe even did a better job than, than what I had initially intended. And since this is sort of like uh, my my next um, uh, foray into this uh, genre, I'm, I'm going to get him back because I trust him with my material. Yeah. That's one scenario that I can see. Another scenario that I can see is looking at his work on Small Potatoes in addition to his body of work on the whole, you know, I mean, we really aren't familiar with him outside of Star Trek, but he did direct something like 250 hours of television. Yeah. So I imagine, you know, there are things, especially if he's trying to get certain jobs, he probably has different types of reels where he's like, well, look at this, you know, yeah. I can totally do that. So, um, I mean, I can see that that happening. And um, also probably just them knowing him personally, you know, knowing his his sensibilities and, and whatnot. So that, I assume, is the main factor. Yeah. Because, like, if you're, if you're looking through his, his catalog of things that you've seen for evidence of mm-hmm. his savvy with humor, yeah. you're not going to find a lot. Because he just didn't, maybe. He didn't he, – he did a lot of serious stuff. Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe they wanted someone who did a lot of serious stuff so that, you know, you'd have that since it's kind of like playing off of that, you know. I, I imagine right. if you got just like a, a sitcom director, it, it wouldn't have worked nearly as well because you wouldn't have that – that serious undertone or counterbalance. It depends it. on the individual. These well, days sure. you couldn't really say yeah. that. These days you could say like, oh yeah, maybe, maybe those sitcom guys could do a right. superhero movie. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> maybe. <laughs> you never know. So yeah, I mean that, that that I thought was really interesting. I thought he did an excellent job uh, with the direction, and I, I also was very impressed with the editing. I'm sure um, a lot of that was sort of built into the script but you know for one thing balancing the the two perspectives and 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 uh shooting and cutting them in in a certain way in order to present it from one person's point of view yeah but then also you know little things like the time cuts when scully is uh uh, weighing the, doing doing the autopsy and weighing the various organs and stuff like that. I mean, the comic timing in that sequence and in the the, the episode on the whole is very very good. And that's something that we talked about with small potatoes. It's even better here. I mean, there's like one shot where, I mean, doing the jump cuts to the different uh, organs is great, but there's one shot where she puts the the large intestine onto the scale. And then she says her dialogue, and then just by happenstance, the the intestine starts falling off of the scale, and just the 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 out point on that is so perfect. Just I mean, it, it's it's one of those weird little you know nerdy things that you know most people probably would never notice, and I'm sure I didn't notice the first well the the time I saw it. But there's a, there's a certain like. Um, a, voodoo to like where to cut Mm -hmm. and when when you find that like a particular cut is extremely informative or amusing it's impossible to figure out how they knew yeah because it's like i mean would you know if you were editing it no of course not Uh, yeah who who knows what it was but it would be miraculous yeah but it but it worked so well It, it was like there just long enough but not too long you know right it tells you what happened yeah. But it doesn't show you it. Mm-hmm. That worked really well. So on the whole, uh, final thoughts on Bad Blood? Are you, are you a fan? 
I'm a huge fan. There's a million episodes of the X-Files that like I get excited about when I'm watching the show. I've done a, like a complete rewatch of the show a handful of times. And when I close in on certain episodes, I get excited about seeing them. And the first rewatch of the X-Files, when it started coming out on DVD, I didn't remember how good Bad Blood was. And when I watched it again, I will like totally, my opinion of it just went completely crazy. I was like, oh my God, that episode's fantastic. That's amazing. And I would bring it up to people who remember the show and they were like, oh yeah, that was really good. But it didn't have flying saucers in it. So it kind of tended to get lost in the shuffle of X-Files episodes memory. Yeah. But it really does hold up better than most episodes of the show. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I pretty much agree with that. You know, when I watched the show for the first time, uh, like I had uh, said last week, it was during season five. So I was recording all of season five while watching seasons one through four. Yeah. And uh, since all of those seasons had already existed and all of my friends really had already watched the show, I had a certain um, expectation going into most of the the episodes, at least the really yeah. big ones, uh, based on what my friends were saying, you know. And like, Bad Blood doesn't come up. It didn't come up, well, because it didn't air yet, you know. Oh. I mean, my, my friends were seeing Bad Blood pretty much the same time that I was seeing it. So everyone was like, Jose Chung's from Outer Space is great, you know. I mean, anytime Darren Morgan's in there, it's great, you know. Even even in Small Potatoes, he's in it. He didn't he didn't write it, but he's in it. So that one's pretty great too. So I had sort of a a, a certain um, mindset going into the show, and because I had that going into the first four seasons, and then I was basically going into the fifth season blind. I didn't start watching Bad Blood thinking that it was one of the best episodes. I was just watching it, thinking I was watching the next episode of The X Files. And because of that, I think my perspective was skewed for years, you know. I always liked it. I always thought it was really good. But, of course, it's not as good as Jose Chung's from Outer Space, you know. Watching it now, I think it is as good as Jose Chung's from Outer Space. I think it might even be better. It might be, you know, the best episode of the show. Maybe not. But it's certainly up there. Yeah, it's difficult for me to like, proclaim the best episode of the show, mainly because there's just too many good ones. Yeah, I mean, to it's me... Ki- it, it's kind of crazy. So me, I, I don't want to do that. Yeah, if if I were to do that, I mean, it would be the movie, probably, for me. Well, that's just wrong. Yeah, I, I love the movie Your opinion so is wrong about that. Okay. I really, really love that movie. Anyway, um, well, that's bad blood. Let's Let's shift gears for a second here. And sort of touch on uh, something in current events on uh, commentary Trek stars. You know, there is no Star Trek going on right now, but there are plenty of Star Trek creators who are out there doing their own thing. And uh, one rather significant one came up in the past couple weeks. So I figured we should talk about that a little bit because everyone else is. So why shouldn't we? That's Cosmos, a space-time odyssey, which is the new uh, science show on the Fox network. It's got a lot of Star Trek alums in there. Uh, Seth MacFarlane, who, of course, uh, showed up in a few episodes uh, in, in Enterprise. and uh, A long-standing Star Trek fan. A long-standing Star Trek fan. 
it's also got uh, the, their their little uh, ship of the imagination or whatever they call it is. What, what, what do they call that? What do they call their spaceship? Oh, yeah, there is a name. I don't, like, know, I don't know what the name is. It's a ridiculous looking spaceship. It's like, sh- yeah, spaceship uh, wonder. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's interesting because if you've watched the original Cosmos, like almost all the same pieces are there. Mm-hmm. It's just that they've updated it in a lot of different ways. The yeah. original Cosmos, Carl Sagan actually is on a spaceship for a lot of it. Yeah. And it looks kind of like um, like Stanley Kubrick designed the Enterprise Bridge. Yeah. Because it's just kind of weird and sparse. But this new one is very, very artistic and abstract. Yeah. But it's really cool looking. The new one, it kind of looks like the... Uh Kind of looks like Padme's ship from from Star Wars Episode One, where it's all mirrored. Kind of, know? kind of Padme's ship meets Slave One. Yeah, yeah. Meets um, the ship. Actually, you know what? It looks a heck of a lot like the ship from Flight of the Navigator. Okay, all right. But regardless, the reason why I bring up the ship is because it was designed by Ryan Church, who is the guy who designed the uh, the Enterprise. For the new movies, for the JJ verse, yeah. So there's another uh, Star Wars, Star Trek. Really? Excuse me. So there's another. You Star- have to cut that out. Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> Maybe I'll just leave it in. So there's another Star Trek alum, but the big one, of course, is Brandon Braga, who I don't know if he's running the show really or what he's doing because I mean the first two episodes are not written by him. However. He is an executive producer on the show, and the first episode is directed by him. Well, he's not a scientist. He's not a scientist, but he's also not a director, or at least he isn't right. until now. Well, I mean, like, it, it makes sense for him to be involved in, in well, like, who's, structuring the show. Okay, well, let me, let me ask you that, because I know uh, the, the first two episodes were written by two people, and Dryan, who is... Drian. Drian. Is it Drian? Okay. I thought it was Druyan. Druyan, whatever. D-R-U-Y-E-N. I assumed it was Drian, but... Regardless, regardless, she is Carl Sagan's wife, right? And she, I know, had a hand in writing a lot of the stuff that he wrote. Like, she she had a hand in writing Cosmos, I know. I'm not... Contact. Contact, yes. That's that's one of their big collaborations. And it's actually kind of weird considering his other stuff, but... Yeah. Yeah, she's um, she's a significant force. I think, well, the main scientist on the show is the guy who's on screen all the time sure i mean like neil degrasse tyson is essentially the main like driving force behind the science of the episodes mm-hmm. which makes sense because that's essentially what carl sagan did and this show really is kind of it's just another example of neil degrasse tyson essentially basing his career choices on what carl sagan did yeah which is not to say that he's unoriginal, it's to say that he considers Carl Sagan's life and his 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 works as being kind of a duty mm-hmm. of of the the world of science to be 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 understood by people who aren't scientists. I mean, Carl Sagan made it his mission for to inform non scientists of the world of science, and Neil deGrasse Tyson essentially decided to carry on that legacy yeah they have a whole thing in the first episode where neil degrasse tyson pulls out uh, carl sagan's 
uh, journal, well, not journal, but calendar from like 1975. Mm-hmm. And you see in there on one date, you know, um, the name Neil Tyson is written in, and it's because Tyson uh, met with with Sagan. Sagan took the mm-hmm. time to sort of, uh, you know, give a little 17-year-old Neil deGrasse Tyson uh, uh, a day to, I don't know, walk in Carl Sagan's footsteps or something. Just follow him around taking pictures. Yeah. But yeah, I Walk Carl Sagan's dog. Well, I mean, let's talk about, you know, pretty much just the first episode, I guess. Um, what did you think? Did you like it? I know that you're a big fan of the original, right? I am a big fan of the original. Like, I, I, I actually got into a conversation about this with my mom the mm-hmm. other day because we're both, you know, science enthusiasts and we both read a lot about stuff and and like i consider shows like cosmos and a lot of discovery channel shows to be essentially like unbelievably calming and relaxing experiences and when i'm you know when i don't feel well when i'm ill in some way a show like this is really helpful because it's stuff for me to think about but it's not taxing in any way Mm -hmm. because i know the material what i'm looking for is is a depiction of a concept that is very that, that is succinct that is that, that makes it like like comprehensible to people who don't know it because when you when when i try to explain complicated scientific concepts i end up thinking like i, I don't even know how to phrase time di- i don't know how to talk about time dilation i still don't really know how to talk about time dilation i understand how it works but i don't know how to explain it to people who don't know what it is mm-hmm. so like shows like this when they get things right it's really revelatory because when they when when you know that they've accomplished it in a way that makes sense to people. You end up grabbing it and then stealing it and using it in conversations. Mm-hmm. So I, I watch the show very, very excitedly. And I, I can't, I can't say like any individual episode is great. I mean, like it's, it's great moment to moment. It's, it's just unbelievably fun to watch. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, that that's uh, an interesting thing. I, I watched the first episode and I started watching the second episode and, and wasn't able to finish it yet. But the first episode, which was the episode that Braga directed himself, I was very impressed by. Um, I had not seen the original Cosmos. I wanted to watch it and I, I just, it's never really come up. But so I didn't really know what to expect. But then once I got into it, I was like, okay, so this is what they're doing. And like you're saying, the idea behind the show is basically kind of explaining scientific concepts to the general public, you know, and presenting them in a way which is easily accessible and which is going to try to excite people about science in a sense, you know. Like, I can totally see this show being shown to fifth graders for, like, the next, you know, ten years at least. You know, this is going to be something that the, the teacher It will replace on. science teachers for a few <laughs> decades. Um, you know, but but with that, that mindset, with that being what the goal of this show is, I think that the execution is key. The execution is is what sort of the entire thing rests on. And I thought it was extremely well executed. And I'm super impressed by the fact that this is done by a first-time filmmaker, first-time director, right? I mean, Braga, he's basically 
he's he's been a writer his his whole time and and to give something like this to him as his first thing something where it's not scripted television in the traditional sense and something where it's completely reliant on the visuals and he just like hit it out of the park i thought that the direction was exceptional and um you just sit there and watch it i mean that was like one of the things when the when the first preview started coming out everyone was like oh my god i don't know what this is like people who hadn't seen the original show and i even asked you i'm like what is it and you're like i don't know how to describe it and you sit there and you watch the the preview for the uh for the show and you're like i have no idea what they're doing in this show like i do not know the type of show that this is but i'm totally gonna watch it because visually it's amazing you know I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, I mean, I consider this sort of thing to be like. I mean, this is this is the easiest thing to direct. I, I, the material is unbelievably strong. You can essentially you can you can drop all of the balls, and it's still going to be great. No, I, I I totally disagree. You could drop all of the balls, and you would still be interested in it because you're still interested in the subject matter. But the the goal of this show is to capture the attention of people who up until this point couldn't care less about the concept of evolution or the concept of, uh, you know, um, the age of the the universe or or, or things like that. You know what I mean? Like, you are an easy target for this show. You know, they they could put a monkey in there to direct this thing and you'd still watch it. The... The goal is to get people who don't care about science to be completely invested in this show. Which is why it doesn't which is why it's not unbelievably complicated. Essentially you just make it look very pretty. You keep it tight. You don't let anything, you know, extraneous in there. You stay focused on the task. You don't deviate from the concept. And the concept is is determined by the science advisors. Yeah, I think you're selling it way short. You know, I mean, just just like you were saying now, you know, you watch these things and, and you take comfort in them because uh, they present ideas which you find to be difficult to explain in an explainable fashion and how, how you steal from them and, and when explaining scientific concepts to others. I mean, that right there is a big component of it, okay? And, it's, and maybe that's where uh, having, you know, writers of, uh, you know... Um, Fiction, science, fiction, science fiction, fiction in general is is beneficial because you know they can come sure. up with ways to express these ideas, but then to sort of throw out any sort of uh, traditional narrative in favor of just like extraordinary visuals, it's really really impressive. Yeah, I I like I don't have a problem with any of the things that you're saying. I'm just saying that the directing this is way easier. Than directing an episode of Star Trek. Yeah, I I definitely disagree, especially for someone who, you know, has written more Star Trek scripts than anyone else. I mean, you would think that that would be the first thing they did. It was like, oh yeah, I would get, I'll direct this because I know how, what I want. You know, it'll be pretty easy for me to just go in there on this show that I created. And well, what part of this is that you can't just go in there? Like these episodes don't have like a shooting schedule. Oh, right. Because they're they're largely determined by the content, and that content is 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 shootable in a million different ways. Well, that's, so there's no like that's what I'm saying schedule, right? So 
<laughs> I, I think it's really weird to, to say that, like that's impressive because it's like no, it's shootable. He, he kept working until it was good. It's shoot. It that's hard. That that <laughs> you're, you're you're making it sound like oh yeah, this is just something that you do. You just throw it together, whatever. I mean, what you're describing is exceptionally hard and maybe maybe that it's just the perspective that i'm coming from or something like that maybe it's the way that i would direct it compared to the way that someone else would but i mean looking at and i'm not saying that like if you were to give this to james cameron and james cameron would be like oh yeah whatever and then throw this up on screen i'd be like yeah okay well of course james cameron's gonna throw that up on screen what i'm saying is someone coming from the background that Brandon Braga has, someone who has gone in a very different direction creatively uh, throughout his career, to then do this. Like, I'm not saying that, you know, I can't believe that he could do something like this. I'm saying that I had no idea that he had this skill set in, uh, in his toolbox, you know. And I'm saying that if you gave it to James Cameron, he would throw up something on screen that was almost exactly the same well i i disagree i totally disagree i think like you're saying there's a million options you got to hone it until it's something and you know but you're but it, you're going to end up look they're 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 doing a specific thing they're doing a thing that's determined by like actual facts so when you when you hone it when you when you sharpen this particular blade you end up with a particular sort of blade and it's going to look like everyone else's I, I I totally disagree. I mean, the, the, even even the fact that they're like, let's explain this concept by using this visual. It's like, okay, you could have chosen a million visuals to work. This one works really well. But most of those things are determined by by the actual this, the people involved. I mean, these are not like these are not like random inventions. I mean, like these are these are the thought experiments being depicted in in ways that have been depicted before. Okay, fine, but. Even with that, okay, for example, in the first episode, okay, the idea of um, trying to demonstrate how old the universe is by fitting all of time into one calendar year, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so if you take that concept, which I'm sure has been done before, but it is, okay, first you're, you're, you're investing in this idea, in this in this idea. Now what you need to do is figure out a way to visually represent it. And in in an exciting and and very dynamic way. And and you look at the way that that was shot and put together, you know, it's amazingly well done. I don't know. I mean, you I think you're selling this way I've way I've seen short. these things before. That's the maybe, thing. Maybe maybe maybe. And you and, know And when when you're saying like he did a good job, I'm I'm, say, I'm saying that yeah, anyone competent would do a good job. I I think you're selling him way short. I'm not. I'm not trying to sell anyone short. I'm just saying that when you praise the director of this show, it sounds kind of weird. I I don't see why. I mean, everyone talks about you know visually speaking how how it looks amazing, and how you're. I mean, just like you know, it's it's the job of the director to take you know words and translate them into visuals, and. <laughs> how the words that's kind here, of the job of everyone okay fine but the words here are you know weird in ter- in television terms and that they're not you know your typical narrative i mean it's sure but it's not atypical for like like a show like a, like a documentary series i think it is i think the the the, the scale 
at which these stories are being told told is really interesting. And I think if you look at a place where it falls apart, it's when it's small. Like anytime you have Neil deGrasse Tyson, like sitting in the woods, like hanging out with some wolves, it's like, mm, okay, yeah, Neil deGrasse Tyson, you know, as as far as acting is concerned, he's a really good scientist. Well, that's Cosmos for you. I think both Max and I would recommend it. Correct. Yeah. Um, check it out. And, uh, yeah, Brandon Brogan's got another show coming out next month and we, we will tackle that at some point in the future as well, but that might take a little bit more time since he was, uh, I think the, the creator or co-creator of that show. Um, it, it might, uh, require a bit more, uh, analysis. Anyway, well, it's been fun talking about, X-Files, and Cosmos this week, but that's not all that we're talking about on Trek.fm, so here's a look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. A lot time commentary. He's got his, love his room chest. with yeah. the weird lights. And <laughs> well, he, he shops at Spencer's. Yeah, whatever yeah. that is. <laughs> oh, poor Colin. Now that joke will kill in America. Earl Grey. Jordy LaForge. They're, you know, Sherlock and Watson flying in the face of copyright laws that they didn't realize <laughs> at the time. <laughs> the Ready Room. Emergence. The entire scene that Picard and Beverly have is about one-upping each other with pointless <laughs> trivia about the yeah. Orient Express that they each have. Well, did you know? Well, Beverly, I knew that, but did you know this? And it's like, <laughs> I'm like what is the point of the scene? I don't... The Orb. Trail on trial. There are motifs that carry through, like right, and, hands behind your back. Right, exactly. Example. And that's where I think you get the variation on a theme. You know, it's not a new song, it's not even a new verse. It's a reordering of notes to create something different and yet similar. To the journey! Costumes on Voyager. Take that, Enterprise D. That's right. You think your mind was blown in 87. Just wait until you see it in 97. <laughs> Warp 5. TOS Impressions of Seasons 1 and 2. Once I actually started watching it, I began to understand that it was about our future leading into TOS. It's more of a sequel for us than it is a prequel for TOS. Commentary, Trek Stars. The X-Files, Small Potatoes. When I get to this episode, I get excited. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is one of the ones that I continually find more things to like about it. Melodic Treks. The music of unlocked time. Yeah, we can do a Muppets podcast, too. I mean, at this point, we might as well, right? Right. I mean, we're doing every other show. <laughs> Literary Treks. The Return of the Serpent. So they all shoot the dinosaur, and then they look back, and they the Klingon... to shoot the dinosaur. And then the Klingon's like, No, I can't do it! I don't want to shoot him! I can't! If I do it, then I'll turn into one of those Klingons that I don't like! You mean one of the Klingons that's helpful? And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows to get in on the Daily Trek Talk. We have new shows for you every day, and you'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zune... Or you can stream and download files from the website. Just visit trek.fm slash pd for podcast directory to get all the links. So, you know, uh, Carl Sagan, he's written uh, a bunch of books, obviously. And mm-hmm. uh, I 
actually haven't read any of them, but uh, I have what? seen. Yeah, I, I just it's, just never came up. But I have seen Demon um, Haunted World. I haven't seen that, but it's I've okay. <laughs> I've seen I've seen a movie that uh, is based on one of his books, and it's a very good movie, and that is Contact. Um, the movie was actually ranked by NASA as the second most plausible science fiction movie of all time. Anyway, it was a book first, and you can get it for free on audible.com. Listen to the book. Uh, Here's the description. Um, The future is here. In an adventure of cosmic dimension, in December 1999, a multinational team journeys out to the stars to the most awesome encounter in human history. Who or what is out there? In Cosmos, Carl Sagan explained the universe. In Contact, he predicts its future and our own. Yeah. You've read this book, right? Yeah. Big fan? I'm a fan. Yeah. I'm a fan. I mean, it's it's a really weird book. It's it's not it's not as, as impeccably written like science fiction novel as you might expect from you know, something of that profile. But it's way better than a Michael Crichton novel. There you go. Contact. Way better than a Michael Crichton novel. Put that on the cover. Uh, Audible. Um, Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for. Audible is the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers, Audible has something for everyone. As a Trek.fm listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice, along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. So give it a try today. Catch up on all those classics you've yet to read, or the latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trek.fm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trek.fm, and we thank you and Audible for supporting Commentary, Trek Stars, and Trek.fm. As always, you can find us at trek.fm, where we do this show. I also do uh, Standard Orbit with Drew on Mm trek.fm. And you can find us on commentarytrackstars.com, where we do commentary track stars off-topic. And you can email us at comtrackstars at gmail.com or tweet us at comtrackstars. All right. Well, that's pretty cool. We got the, the bad blood. We got the cosmos. We got all that stuff. The Cliff Bowl and the Brandon Braga. And next week is part four in our series on Cliff Bowl, where we were going to be looking at his third X-File, Chimera. Mm-hmm. 